Okay, tonight we're going to talk on the difference between ignoring the devil and resisting. So, a lot of things that we're doing are all in the natural. We're just thinking in terms of, okay, I did this, this, and this, and this, and this, and push back. But I want you to evaluate your life of how much you are really, really resisting evil. How much you really put up resistance and what resistance looks like to you. I don't want you to sit there and think that you're doing a pushback by just, oh, thinking it can't happen to you. Because let me tell you something about the enemy. He's patient. And if he doesn't get you today... So it started dawning on me after watching the church and watching believers fail. Consistently they fail with spiritual warfare. But I noticed that what we were calling spiritual warfare was ignoring the devil. And we even make up doctrine around this. We even make up reasons and we put spiritual clothing around it. But the bulk, the scripture, the weight of the scripture, and all the scriptures that I can find talk about resisting the devil. So very little of what Christians do falls in this category. Very little of it actually falls in line with what I would call spiritual warfare. Now think about this. Your Bible opens up with the scene of spiritual warfare. I mean, when you think about it, in Genesis 3, the opening scene of the Bible is spiritual warfare. Worse than that, it's failure at spiritual warfare. I mean, we completely blow it. It's in the garden, and it's Genesis 3, 1 through 5. And I want you to notice that there's a pattern here. The enemy comes to Eve, and, and he begins to question her. You've got to determine when you hear these questions in your mind, is, is it the voice of the enemy? Is he creating doubt in your mind? I know that the Bible promises that, but, you know, you just don't see that work. And you see the enemy start the doubt with Eve. Has God really said? Now, notice what happens in this Genesis 3, 1 through 5. First, God's word is quoted, which is what you want to have happen in spiritual warfare. But then in verse 4 through 5, it's contradicted, and it switches. So the serpent comes. He's more cunning. He's shrewd. He's that uh, same word that Jesus uses when he says that we've got to stand against evil. We've got to be cunning. We've got to be shrewd when we stand against evil. So it says that he was cunning, and he came, and he said to the woman, Has God really told you not to eat the fruit from this tree? that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden, yes, we may eat it. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, don't eat it. And then she throws in a little extra. She puts a little precautionary in there. Do you know what she throws in there? Don't touch it either. And we call those fence laws. You know, you won't eat it if you don't touch it. For the most part. So anyway, she's telling us, uh, Mr. Snake, I think you should take your hands off of that. We're not supposed to eat that one or touch it. And so that's how she puts it to the enemy. Or you shall die. So she understood there's consequences to this. And the serpent said to the woman, you certainly shall not die. Now this is at the point the enemy completely challenges, contradicts what God has said. I mean, at this point, he's not being cunning anymore. He is completely telling her it's not true what God says. And he puts a little subtle motive into God here. 
He says, for God knows that on the day that you eat from it, your eyes are going to open up. And you will become like God, and you will know good from evil. Wow. Well, that's been thousands of years of chaos. It's a promise of wisdom, of understanding, of becoming like God, which it doesn't make sense when we realize we'd already been made in the image of God. What's Satan offering us here? Nothing that we don't already have. I mean, he is literally coming to take down our authority. And so what should have been done at this point? What could have happened differently? And so I'm going to say that the point of what the New Testament calls the second Adam, this was the first Adam, and the New Testament calls the second Adam, he shows us what should have happened on spiritual warfare. And he gives us our manual for spiritual warfare. And if you will take this manual that Jesus gives us, it will cause you to win any battle you're up against with the enemy. So there's an attack. What's interesting about this, it happens in the wilderness. You think of the first one, and it happens in the garden. It's beautiful. It's perfect. But you read about the desert that Jesus went into. You read about the wilderness. You read about what he was going through. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And so it's very parallel, these two. And this is how it goes down. You notice something here. And this is what I want you to really catch on to. Because if anybody had had the right to do this, it would have been Jesus. And so when someone arrogantly or someone uh, just foolishly or someone who's just not reading the Bible literally tells you this, I want you to draw them to this part right here. Because they do it in this sort of a way. This is how they hide the cover to say we can ignore the devil. They say, well, he's already defeated. Uh, I'm above him. We've got more power than him. And I want you to notice something about Jesus here. Jesus did not do an ignore sort of attack. When the devil came to him, if anybody could have said, who do you think you're messing with? I am God's son. How dare you even speak to me? You are defeated. You know, Jesus, I'm perfect. I have never sinned. You have no jurisdiction over me. He could have completely taken the standpoint of, oh, it's just the devil. I don't have to listen to him. Or this, oh, the devil doesn't have any power over me. I'll just ignore him. And this is why I think it's presumption. And this is why I think it's a veiled spiritual pride for you to think that you can ignore the devil when Jesus took the enemy seriously enough to contradict him. That Jesus is the one who contradicted the enemy. And you have got to, as a Christian, not be that case, sirrah, sirrah, just everything's just easy. Jesus has done this for me. It requires nothing of me. And realize that Jesus did this by the power of the Spirit to show you what spiritual warfare looks like on you. So you don't have to make it any harder than this, but you sure don't want to dumb it down any. You sure don't want to come to the point that you're not measuring up to what it says here. So, does the Bible tell us to ignore him? I cannot find one 
place in the Bible that teaches you to use the ignore. Jesus took the devil seriously. And what he did was so genius, he just answered him. What a spiritual weapon we have in the words, it is written. What a weapon. It's amazing to me that those three little bitty words, it is written, could have that much power. And he answered the devil with the word of God three times in verse 4, verse 7, and verse 10 in the book of Matthew. This is also told in Luke. But it tells you that three times he said to the devil, it is written. The devil had three attacks for him. Jesus had three answers. His three answers were, it is written. Would you say they're the most powerful verses in the Bible? I wouldn't have known they were even <laughs> that strong of a weapon. What he chose to answer the devil with completely won over each attack of the enemy. So we're going to look at a comparison thing here. Number one, the temptation of turning the stones into bread. It could be satisfaction of your immediate needs. I know how it feels for me. In a way, the enemy's always trying to get me to take a shortcut. Now, Jesus has multiplied the bread, or he's going to in his ministry, but he doesn't do this here. So you see that the stones turn into bread is very similar to the eat from the fruit of the tree. Jesus did not take his power and use it in this way. The second one is you're invincible. Jump from the temple. And the enemy quotes a verse to him. The enemy had to pick a verse that's very powerful in the Bible. Well established. The enemy picked the most powerful words written on protection. Psalm 91. And he told him, jump. Prove it. Let everybody know. Pick the tallest building here. He picked a very well-known passage. And he told Jesus, do it. You know, the scary part about the enemy is he knows his Bible. And I've seen a lot of people go crazy in the name of one verse making them go off their rocker. In the name of the enemy pushing one compulsive thought. I mean, to me, it scares me to think that the word of God can be in the hands of the enemy. That he can use it against you. And that's why it takes discernment. It takes that thing of getting close to the Lord. Because if something doesn't feel right, don't go along with it. The enemy is very compulsive. When I feel the enemy working with me, it's do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And it's a very compulsive thing. So the first one is the satisfaction of turning these stones into bread. And the second one is invincible. So it's jumped from the temple. But it corresponds with that first one of the failure of the spiritual warfare. When Satan told him, uh, eat, you won't die. You won't die. Eat, you won't die. Do you see the parallel that it's using? And then power is, he tells him, this one's always a shortcut to power. Like, look, you don't have to go to the cross. We can make this simple. Here's all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down and worship me, and they're all yours. Isn't that what you're here for? To regain the world to yourself? Bow down. They're mine to give. I'll give them to you right now. 
you know, it's very similar to the same type of temptation that the devil did to Eve and Adam when he says, uh, you eat this and you'll be like God and you'll be able to discern between good and evil. You know, First John, he's not through with this either because he puts a parallel on it that it's the, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. When I look at Jesus and what he was going through, he was alone. You know, a lot of times your worst temptation will happen alone. It'll happen when you're in a weakened condition. Sometimes I always say uh, it's, it's when you're laying in your bed at night and you just feel this overwhelming temptation like it consumes you. The loneliness, it just starts getting a hold of you. You see that, that this is when it came on Jesus. It didn't happen at the pinnacle of something he had done miraculous. It, this had happened when he was alone. You would think after 40 days of fasting and spending time with God, the enemy wouldn't be anywhere near you. <laughs> You wouldn't think after 40 days of presence of God that that's when the enemy is going to manifest himself to you. And this is where I see it clearly in the scripture as our manual. Jesus used resistance. We have to do spiritual warfare. We have to do it alone. And we have to do it when we're at our weakest. You know, it's so unique that Jesus just doesn't make things complicated here. The enemy uses a verse against him. The enemy realizes, you know, I'm quoting a verse and then he's shutting me down with a verse. Or, uh, you know, the first one is I'm giving him a temptation and then he's just shutting me down with a verse. So that's when Satan changed his method and he said, I'm going to give him a verse. And I think it's interesting how Jesus formed that one. Remember what he did? He says, it is written, it is written. And then what do you say when the enemy quoted a verse? It's further written. One more word added to it. So I like the fact that he doesn't make it hard. He just says it is further written. I think what we need to realize about spiritual warfare, it's just you have to do it. You have to resist. It, it isn't this elaborate thing of how smart you are and, and your fear of I don't know enough verses. But the Holy Spirit will give you the verse you need at that moment for the temptation. Have you ever tried speaking a verse in the face of temptation? Speaking a verse in the face of evil? Just quoting a verse back. And I would say it is written. I mean, that's where you hear the rattling of the swords. That he's pulling the sword out. It is written. And then, of course, my favorite part of this whole thing of where Jesus does it is written is written is it is further written is verse 10 and it's be gone I like that it's over well wow, I wish Eve had, had a little training <laughs> I wish Adam had risen to the occasion I wish we had done something but it is a horrible failure if we feel now in spiritual warfare is we can look back and wish all we want because it's not going to do anything unless you start using spiritual warfare. And it bothers me how clear this is and to find out that people are not doing this simple spiritual warfare, especially if you're weak. You know what goes over in my head over and over and over? 
The day that Corey Tim Boom got arrested and her whole family went down was the day she was sick in bed. And I have to tell myself, I've got to be double vigilant. I've got to be doubly on top of things when I'm feeling my weakest. So that TWF, tired, weak, and frustrated, is not enough for this. We have to know <laughs> that when we're tired and when we're weak and when we're frustrated, that we have to put some resistance in there. Be gone. Now, I'm going to tell you the thing that I've learned since the beginning of teaching this is the one thing that bothers me is when things start stacking up on me. I hate it. I hate it when a bunch of things hit me at once. Oh, I'm all right, one or two shots. But when everything attacks me from all directions, guess what? It goes through your mind. Don't tell me it doesn't go through your mind. It's the key word. <laughs> what goes through your mind when you're being shot at from all directions? What? <laughs> I can't do this. I can't. I can't. Nobody. You, you're telling yourself, nobody could take this. Nobody could take this. Dad always made me picture it of being in World War II in a plane in one of those bomber jets. And he was telling me, well, you know, like uh, an engine goes out, and then another engine goes out, and then this guy's shot, and then this one. And he said, after you get four or five of them, you start thinking about going down. Like, how can this beast stay up in the air? And that's what I feel like. A lot of times I'm flying, and I can take one engine being knocked out. I can take a second shot. It's when I, I start wanting to scream. I don't like it from all directions. I, I tell you what I feel like. Some of you guys will understand it. I'm the quarterback, and I got the ball, and I'm going back for the pass. And guess who wants me? Everyone. The opposition all wants me. And the reason why I'm building this up, because I know I'm not the only one that feels this, but as you go through different levels and you get a target on you, this is the verse that helped me. I ask the Lord, what do I do? I'm terrible at this. Like sometimes I just tell the Lord, I'm just, I'm horrible at this. I know people think I know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing, God. Let's talk. What can I do about this? And he said it to me so strongly. He said, my son took them one at a time. He didn't let them pile up. He didn't let them stack up. One time Ann and I were sitting together and I, I call it convergence. They all come at once. And I looked at Ann and said, pick which one I should tackle. Because I don't know which one to tackle. I said, they've all hit us at once. You know, I'm supposed to be on a radio program right now. This has happened, this has happened, this happened. What do we do? And that's where I stop and say, okay, Lord, I am not going to let the devil do three at a time. And that's where it started really making sense to me here is I take them one at a time, and I answer them one at a time. That's my answer to convergence. That's what he showed me so far. Pick them off, take them one at a time. Answer the enemy on this one, move to the next one. That's how he tries to put you out of business, five things at once. So how he tries to take you out of a relationship, five things at once. Answer them. Answer them with God's word, one at a time. And then lest you think that you're dealing with too high of a demon entity. Or you remember where we talked about some are more wicked than others. And you just think, this is the worst one I've ever fought. If you think, well, I've got a principality after me. I've got witchcraft coming after me. And it gets so big in your mind. 
I want you to say something to yourself. Jesus was dealing with the head of principalities here. <laughs> the chief evil master himself. It can't get any worse than Satan himself showing up. It can't get any worse than this. And yet he falls by three words. It is written. So when it tries to make itself too big, too ugly, too bad of an attack, I remember it just takes, it is written where I resist. And after three, Jesus said, enough, be gone, be done. And it gives you a little promise. Satan will come back for a more opportune time. It's not over. He'll meet you again through the mouth of Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross. You'll hear the voice again. But you can be done with it. You can set the time and the stage. And so this helped me to unstack it and to unglorify the attack and realize the Word of God is more powerful than anything that would raise its head up against me. For the enemy will try to bite my heel, but I shall crush his head. So there's warning flags. And this was the way that God began to show me this revelation. I started seeing that I was hearing more from the enemy than I thought I was. Like, sometimes the enemy said subtle little things to me. Sometimes the enemy was fully in my face yelling. Like, I, there was no doubt about it. I, I, I'd never been more frightened in my life on some of the things. It felt like sirens going off. Sometimes it's like a little bitty flag, light, swift, barely there. And other times it feels like the enemy is raging inside of you. But let me tell you something that helps you. It helps that the enemy likes to brag. And like a rattlesnake, he likes to shake his tail and make a rattle, make a warning before he strikes. And quit being afraid of the sound. Quit being afraid of what he's telling you. Don't be afraid of what Goliath is boasting about, what the torment or the fear is saying to you, how the enemy's telling you your demise is going to be. And tell yourself, at least I know he's coming at me. I can hear him. The very sound of his voice lets me know it's time to get out. It is written. So I made a list here, and I'm going to read you my original list. But one of the things I saw that the enemy likes to do is it's about the time you tell yourself, oh, things are too good to be true. Things are perfect. And you don't put any spiritual resistance in it. You just make a newsflash. You say it to some friends. I don't know what it is, but it's like putting up a neon sign. And that's because it's a subtle little thing. And we call attention to it. You tell yourself, oh, this is a... Uh, this is the best day of my life. Let me tell you what it looks like to cover it. Lord, I just put the blood of Jesus over that. Lord, I just thank you. I'm grateful for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for protecting it. Satan, don't touch it. In Jesus' name, do not touch that person. I'm praying for them that they'll not fall. And so when I hear people say something and they don't know to spiritually put a cover around it, you know, if I have the power where it says in John 20 that you can forgive people's sins through the name of Jesus, then I can also pray for them. And I can ask God to cover them. And I had a guy, and it wasn't too long ago, and he was telling me, you know, my kids are perfect. And I was like, oh, my lands. 
say it four more times and, and I'll be on my knees for four or five hours. And I went ahead and I went to him and I told him, you can't do that. It won't work. About the time you, you take that deep breath in, the enemy will come and, and he'll just unveil everything that's going on. So those are subtle. And you answer with the word and you speak, my children are disciples taught of the Lord and great is their peace and calm composure. My children will literally skip their prodigal years, learn from the prodigal and realize there's no sense to take off and they're not going to be prideful like the elder one. And you start putting those decorations because there's nothing that has power but the word of God. There is nothing that has power but you doing what the word of God says. You know, uh, healing. This is the first time that uh, I ever had this happen to me, but I was teaching on healing in the Philippines. And only in my van. We were doing an evangelistic crusade, but, I mean, we were praying for the sick at night, and we had, I mean, taken Manila, had divided it up, and had done crusades for two to three months in the Philippines. But I felt like everyone else was just keeping an eye on me to see if it worked. But our team leader, who had a master's, his degree was in uh, this subject, he didn't believe in healing. And so we'd get in the bus, and here we'd go. Oh, my gosh, just going after, after it. Twice during the debate, I just heard the enemy say, I'm going to make you sick and ruin everything saying here. Guess what I did? I ignored the devil. I shrugged it off because I was debating I knew I was right. I knew the scripture said it. You know, was it just because I was teaching on healing? No, it's because I didn't do spiritual warfare over it. I was just winning my debate. So what happened is I was at a big party, and everybody was having a great time, and they poured out a huge thing of shrimp. And a voice came to me and told me, don't eat the shrimp. Now, going back, I can't tell you if it was God telling me that or if it was the enemy. But I'll tell you what I did wrong. I not only ate the shrimp, (laughs) but I didn't even bother to pray over it. And I sure didn't do any warfare. I'd never been in a hospital before. And being in an overseas hospital, there's nothing like it. They were pulling my wheelchair Uh, I was throwing up on the inside of the car. I mean, they couldn't get me there. Something had gone bad wrong with me. They told me, what you've got's incurable. The guy that was trying to take my wheelchair over the little uh, door ramp, he wasn't big enough to push a wheelchair. And I had IVs in me, and he threw me out of the wheelchair. And I'm laughing so hard. uh, Anyway, I was laughing. I thought everything was funny, but I could not hold anything down. Um... So then my little interpreter, she goes, what's this? And she'd take the IV bag, and it would be clear, and she'd put it down below, and it'd fill up with my blood. And then she'd raise it up and go, watch, it goes clear again. And then she, uh-huh. Then they came in, and we're going to do exploratory surgery on me. And then she'd pray over the pills, and she'd bury them in the plant. I have no idea, but I did not walk out of that hospital well. I could barely stand up. So here I am, and they said, you're going to be in here for six months treatment. And the one thing that they flew over and thanked me for was I didn't tell my parents. 
I was in the hospital, they said if I had made that decision, they said every single kid on the mission team, their parents would have called them home. And we were hit by a typhoon at the same time, which gave that kind of stuff. So it, it was quite the day. But I'll never forget my team leader, Russ. He comes by my hospital bed. And he had one of those um, goatee type things that looked like the devil. And he comes by the bed, <laughs> hairs on his lips, on his chin, and I mean, he looked down at me. I looked up at him. And he goes, never thought it'd happened to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, this is a continuation of my healing debate. He goes, I never thought this could happen to you, Angie. And so I managed to get myself up on my elbow. So I'm trying to get up to Russ's stature, and I told him, I said, Russ, I'm going to tell you something. You go get every TB, every leprosy, every person that has dinghy fever. You get every person on the, the ward that's sick, and you march them by my bed, and I'm going to lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. <laughs> he goes, good. Looks like you're going to make it. <laughs> Because it's not based on me whether healing's true. It's based on the Word of God. And you've got to quit making yourself be the object of whether healing works or not. People try to make you the object. But it's the Word of God. And my little crazy interpreter took me out of the hospital. She went and got someone in the poverty village. They waited in water up to their, their neck. And she reached her hands in my abdomen and started squeezing my organs and I started screaming to high heaven and I asked Malou is she for sure a Christian she goes yeah be quiet and she's squeezing and I stood up out of that bed and I was in the next healing crusade and the nurse on the plane said there's no way that could have happened it was a power of God don't eat the shrimp <laughs> why would you bother to pray over your meal when a voice comes to you like that I mean, I'm just looking at, you've got to enjoy these Bible studies. I mean, I've done them all wrong to help y'all. So, <laughs> seizures. I've talked to people prone to seizures. And they told me a little piece of information that helps you. A moment or so before, they know it's coming. What do you do in that amount of time is most important? That's when you put up your spiritual resistance. There are unique moments that initial resistance that it's a lot easier than letting the devil be full-blown on top of you and so these are just little things that i've learned on spiritual warfare we don't see miracles but it's because we're not resisting i mean there's those key moments you know sometimes it's accusations and i'll tell you about accusations what's funny is when you're in the ministry you hear all the accusations because everybody comes to you to tell you what they think about them. Because they want you to do something about that person. kind of got to watch what you hear, that what you hear doesn't get inside of you. And this person, I mean, they were going over, I mean, it was a couple of people, going over what about this person bad, just over and over accusation. And at that point, I had a very large radio staff. They were like kids. They were mad at somebody every day. I was just like, my gosh, the offense of people in ministry together. So for three days, I'd heard these gripes. And I defended the person, defended the person, because I didn't agree. I didn't agree with that. 
So finally, after a little bit of time, after three days, they finally agreed with me, and they walked off peaceful. And guess what happened to me? I got near that person. I could hear every one of those accusations in my head. And guess what I did? I exploded. <laughs> and so this person that I have taken care of forever and ever and ever taking care of them, it looks like I'm the crazy one. I am exploding. I can't quit exploding all over them. And I was the very person that had given a different perspective on that person because all those thoughts built up inside of me and the other two are fine, and they're the sweet ones, comforting them, and I'm the one that blew up everywhere. Forget that perspective. I... <laughs> so you've got to make a conscious effort around accusations. Because slander and accusations, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't cure the person. Going to them with the Word of God does. And sometimes you're just building up courage. I'll let you come build up your courage, but you finally got to go. But some people, and that's what I was finding, they just dealt in slander. They never wanted to fix it. They just always wanted to keep the trouble stirred up. They always wanted to show that they were superior. They always kept that little thing. It's that edge. And they just kept it going. And it's slander. And that's why the Bible tells you, be careful what you hear, because it'll get inside of you. And when you have to deal with people that are slanderers, which, my gosh, that was the thing I was like, never again do I want to hire that. It's called poison. Get it out of the station. And I'm into confrontation. I'm into settling conflict. But I'm not into that slander game. And it'll get started at camps. It'll get started wherever people are. And you've got to get slander out of the way because a lot of times it'll go after the person that's doing the most in the ministry. It'll go after the person that's working the hardest, and it starts bending things. But I thought it was funny. It sounded like the noble thing to do when you hear something bad about someone to just ignore it. But I realized you've got to put some pushback in it, and you've got to get it under your feet, and you've got to pray till you get that stuff down, gone. Because it's witchy when people get into the slander thing. Injuries. Someone I went to high school with told me this. It was kind of unusual. Before the major game, they had a voice come to them and tell them, you're going to get your knee busted in this game. And so sure enough, they knew they were going to get hurt. And the ambulance came, and it was our own player that busted their knee. And it caused them to be the water boy the next year. They didn't get a play in playoffs. It wrecked their entire season because of this knee busted. It caused them to have several things that they wanted to do in life never to come about. And I thought this is interesting. It didn't just say you're gonna get hurt tonight. It told them what area. These are subtle voices and you've got to push back. You've got to say, Lord, I thank you. I was thinking about the one of no scorpions, no snakes, and nothing of the power of the enemy will injure me. No evil will befall me. And you start whatever the verse is, you give a pushback and you can completely pull that attack off. Um, sometimes I've had it where I can even turn it to where you can see that it was going to happen and you walk out of it and everybody's okay. Fleeting thought, I'm going to have a car wreck. I always have a car wreck in July. You have got to push back against those little bitty thoughts. You know, I, I tell this one, but... Um, 
We were standing in front of my grandmother's home as it was burning, and I was listening to one of her neighbors, who we had known for a long time, tell us that he had had a dream about two or three days before of her home burning. He told us, I always have this dream before things happen. But it's not so you can just stand here and tell me you knew it was going to happen. You've got a personal responsibility to resist. Your ear is not meant for the devil's garbage pail. And the enemy is just like an old peddler trying to rattle off what he wants to sell you. And if you purchase it, he'll give you two or three. (laughs) He'll give you two or three of what he's pushing. Those subtle thoughts, living with it, and don't even think it's abnormal subconsciously, and it's back there doing damage. If you start saying, I'm a misfit in life, guess what will happen? You'll start acting like a misfit. I'm awkward. Something always bad happens around the holidays. I had a lady sit with me two weeks ago when I was out of town speaking, and she said we had a thing where every man in our family died at 52. She said they just expected it. I fell in every relationship I have. Let me tell you what you've gotten into. The principle, Luke 8, 18. Whatever you hear, it'll be multiplied to you. It's your ear gate. And so, so many people make it a pride that they know and they hear the enemy, but they don't make it where they resist the enemy. The hearing is only to do the resisting. Your vulnerable spots, the devil looks for areas in your life that you have not built a, I want to see if you can guess what I'm going to say. Your vulnerable spot is the devil looking for an area in your life where you've not built a, Yeah, strong conviction was what I was going to say. Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? We were talking about it preventatively. You're building convictions. Like I was starting to build a conviction on healing. I could have let that shrimp thing erase everything I believed. That's what the enemy was trying to do. But you're building a conviction on the Word of God. And you make it where it's not about you, but it's about what the Word says. Mother, you say, if I go to my grave and never see this work, I still believe the word of God. Be gone, Satan. I believe the word of God. I believe the word of God. Take that thing off of you. You know, I was thinking about this building a conviction. You can read one of those promise books, and we'll find areas of scripture that make promises that we've never built a conviction around. I was reading about a man today, and he had success early in his life in, in a Hollywood way. He was very successful. It was a good, clean thing that he had done. But he fought depression for the next 20 to 40 years. And he said, it's because nothing else ever good happened in my life. You've got to take the Word of God and build a conviction that those words are true. You have got to build a conviction that that depression will not get the best of you. Every single one of us has things that the enemy constantly tries to hit us in. There are no promises made to those who ignore. We, in and of ourselves, are no match to the enemy. As a human being, in the natural, you do not have what it takes to match the enemy. You can put up your will for a certain amount of time, but he will out-endure you. And you must turn around and take those fleeting thoughts and you must resist them. You can't ignore destructive thoughts. You must answer them. How we ignore. The devil catches us in the state of weakness. 
You don't feel like quoting the word because you got fever and chills. Quote it. <laughs> sometimes they say, like, yell it then. Two, sometimes it's laziness that keeps me from doing spiritual warfare. Most of the time you won't feel like doing it. Do you think the people that do their spiritual warfare feel like it? No. <laughs> do you think that people that, that look really strong, it's just a natural thing that they, that they just have natural strength in it? No. They have eaten the shrimp before. <laughs> Don't give me positive thinking rather than a conviction. You are not just having a good, favorable life on your own good. Positive thinking is not a spiritual weapon, and it is not divinely empowered. Our weapon is answering the attack. 2 Corinthians 10.4, it is divinely empowered for the destruction of fortresses. Weapons powerful enough to destroy strongholds. This is sounding like some good firepower here. And why we are not using it. Whatever we don't attack becomes strongholds. It starts out as a suggestion, and it leads up to a stronghold. The enemy made a little bitty observation that he thought God was holding out on us. If you're not convinced that God has your best in mind, your best life, if you have not made that decision, you're not sold out. That's the original temptation of what the enemy did. You've got to dismantle it. You've got taking one of the devil's suggestions, you've got to take it apart with the word. I told you about my little brother when he was two years age, and they said he wasn't old enough to be doing what I was running in the house telling him. I said, I, I was telling him, I said, he's taking their swing set apart. And they were like, no way. That's a major swing set. I said, no, 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 no. I know he's just a little talking, he can't talk, but Bill was on the top, and those little nuts and bolts, I mean, the whole swing set was just dropping, you know, the, the slide, every piece of it was falling off. I mean, he was a little engineer at that age. He was taking it apart. You didn't even think it too, he could be on the top of it, but he was, I told him, he's dismantling the swing set. <laughs> That's what it's got to look like. You've got to dismantle the attack. Bolt by bolt, nut by nut, you got to get up there and take it apart. It is written. Take that word and speak it as a conviction, and it literally becomes a weapon. You know, you can feel it. Like, when it becomes a conviction in you, I abide under the wings of the Almighty, under his shadow, under the secret place. It's his faithfulness to his promises, that's my shield. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 by my right hand, but it's not approaching me. And you've got a whole army chasing you. We've had to use these verses, but you say and you build up that conviction. It is written. And you've got to practice on your attacks. Because if you can't tell me one attack you've ever held off, you are not doing spiritual warfare. You look like Eve. I'm not just a wimpy Adam just standing there watching his wife seeing away the universe. And that's what you look like. That attack, my prayers aren't being answered. My prayers aren't, but God didn't hear my prayers. I'm telling you, that's one of the most dangerous things that ever can happen to you. I had a friend of mine, and that's the statement it started with. And she ignored it instead of resisting it. Many months later, it became a stronghold. It wasn't any of the little harassments that caused her to walk away. It was one little thought that she let sit there and grow. She could have answered with the word of God and said, He is always with me. He will never forsake me. 
neither height nor depth or principalities or nor demons can separate me from the love that Jesus Christ has for me. Answer the attack. Don't give me a newscast of what the devil's telling you. I told someone the other day, you've said to me 25 times what the devil's told you. I haven't heard one time what the Lord said about it. You're repeating it over and over. What do you want me to do? What can I do to help you? You've got to say the word of God. The subtle thought overthrew her from the inside, and it became a stronghold. These thoughts are throwing you from within. They go inside of you. The devil puts a thought in your ear. And if that thought doesn't come flying right back at him, he knows, send two more. They accepted it. They believed it. I made them think they're rejected today. I'm going to put two more. I told him it's a frustrating day. He can take it from frustrating to out of control, horrible. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I'm tormented in my dreams. I can't sleep. Answer. Just lying there and receiving a full-blown insomnia attack. How many get up and do spiritual warfare when they can't sleep? I always say, a clean conscience is a soft pillow. No. <laughs> you know you have victory over your nightmares when you start doing spiritual warfare in your dreams. You can tell yourself, redream that and redream it with the word of God. And you tell your body, redream that dream. Proverbs 3.24. He gives to his beloved in their sleep. I mean, no wonder our church believers look terrible. I mean, they're accepting everything coming along. Tack, I was working with my dad. Now, this one you really need to hear. I was in the barn, and I was moving hay with my dad. And guess what happened when you move hay? Dust. And you start sneezing, and you can't breathe, and you get watery, gummy eyes. And it would have been so nice to have had a little allergy right at this moment so I could quit. A lot of you own something and you need to go back and repent at the, the moment of origin. Because the devil had a full-blown allergy. If I'd said, I'm allergic to hay, I'm allergic to dust, I'm allergic to this. You know what started coming out of my mouth? God made hay. Body, you'll have discernment. There's nothing in hay that'll hurt me. I command you not to react against this. You're treating it like it's poison. Hay, I will not react to you. Dust, I will not react to you. I command this watery eye, stop it in Jesus' name. It's gone. But a lot of times it's just easier to be lazy. I'll just take this little attack on me. The word of God's got to make a difference in your life. An attack, a genuine uptightness over your child. Let me tell you, little boys don't listen to take care. Be careful. They don't listen to that at all. So you tell them what to do. But after they leave, you tell Satan, don't you touch them in Jesus' name. Put a second thing around them. You're going to have to protect things. We are living in times of strangers are not safe anymore. Kids are not like where we used to could be. I watched a little house on the prairie, and she ran down there and was helping this guy that lived in a haunted house. I told Mom, since when would they let an eight-year-old go down there and spend day after day with a man in a haunted house? And she led him to Jesus in the movie. 
got him scriptures and got him saved. I mean, you, you got little fireballs. The Word of God. Depression. There's a thought that preceded your depression. Every episode of depression starts with a thought. One lady saw a billboard. She looked. There was a couple up there sitting in front of a fireplace with their dog, warming themselves, and she goes, that'll never happen to me. And four months later, she was in so much depression, she didn't know what to do. But it took her a while to pinpoint her thought, ignoring it rather than answering it with God's word. One woman, she spent eight years. <laughs> but now that woman doesn't fight it anymore like a feeling. She fights it like a spirit. I, I get tickled. My dad would feel a little depression. My mom, she'd go open that patio window. She'd tell my dad, get out of that bed. She told my dad, now shout. I want you to shout. Praise the Lord. He said he wanted to run and hide. As she got him shouting, the neighbors down there fishing looked, and they thought, Those, that couple must be up there fighting. My gosh, they packed up their fishing gear and got out of there. And she goes, spirit out of my house. Because <laughs> there was one spirit my mom doesn't like. She doesn't like that depression spirit anymore. She doesn't think any more time needs to be wasted with it. You know, temptation. When you want to do something wrong. Remember Norval Hayes. He said, the Lord told him, I'm going to give you a revelation on temptation. He said, Lord, let me get a pencil and paper. i got to get it down. He says, the most phenomenal revelation you'll ever have. And, and Norval says, okay, God, I'm ready. Tell me what it is. The Lord said, say no. The devil's stupid, and he tries to make you do stupid stuff. I mean, every one of these people, they've done stupid stuff. So your verses are 1 Peter 5, 8. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resisting firm in the faith. Do not believe people when they say the devil has his teeth pulled out. This, is, this verse is written after the cross. This is not written before the cross. This is written after the cross. Peter's telling you the devil kills Christians. Live long enough and you'll see it. But it says, the answer is, don't be sitting there ignoring him. Yes, it's, it's been defeated on the cross. There's a lot of things defeated on the cross that no one's walking in. You better take that sword of God and stick it in the devil. That just because the word of God was true, Jesus still had to say it to bring it about in your life. It's personal. He's made it where you can arm yourself now. So resist him firm in your faith. And I'm going to tell you, the devil eats people. This is, the line is not talking about eating just out there in the jungle. It's talking about the fact the devil's a roaring lion, and he is seeking people to devour. You know, I told you I made a list. Lions like to eat weak people, babies, children, old people. They're not exempt. He likes to eat the slow ones. He does. It's like he, he's a predator. He goes after any easy, vulnerable target he can get a hold of. And he goes after strong, too. When one bad thing happens, two more in line. James 4, 7, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit first to God. Resist the devil. John 10, 10, 
1 John 3, 8, Jesus was called to destroy the works of the devil. Not ignore, destroy. Accept it and it's yours. Let me tell you, have you ever been to an auction? Have you ever been to an auction? Scratch your nose and it's yours. <laughs> you just bought it. Accept it and it's yours. If you scratch your nose, it's subtle. You own it. So, the problem that we have is, I think we haven't figured out our definition of evil. you got to be clear on what's evil. Sin, slander, sickness, death. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. you got to figure out what oppression of the devil is. And I'll tell you a good place to look is in the life of Jesus. But this is what the church is doing. They're not even ignoring. They're submitting to evil. And they're calling it God. Worse than ignoring evil is submitting. I'm just submitting to this sickness. I'm just submitting to this. That's my friend. God just... I thought Paul said death was an enemy. I thought Jesus came after the one who still kills and destroys. I thought he was constantly resisting the enemy in other people's lives. Please take off the table submission to the evil one. You don't even have a chance if you're submitted to the devil. You don't even have a chance. If you own it, like I heard someone the other day tell me I have this disease. And I counted 25 times they named that disease and told me that they had it and claimed it. 25 times. They told me they had the disease. I was like, you kind of make it look like I'm not very intelligent that I have to hear it 25 times. But the devil has made you own it 25 times. And I was sitting there thinking, how am I ever going to teach that person to get it off of them when they believe it so much that they find a stranger like me and have to say it to me 25 times they have this certain disease are they proud of it are they declaring it they claim it fight to make everyone around them believe that they actually have it that's submission to evil it's submission to steal kill and destroy when you're attacked with symptoms what do you do submit ignore or resist so adam and eve we laugh at them. They did terrible job. Failure. Spiritual warfare. Jesus. Great example. As the Son of God, he showed it to you what spiritual warfare should look like on you. But now the jury's out. It's you. How are you doing spiritual warfare? Are you going to ignore the enemy? Or are you going to go on the attack and resist? In Jesus' name. Amen.